thoughts just for a second with me this morning. Number one, think about this. Freedom's never free. Freedom's never free. Somebody paid something for you to enjoy the freedoms that you have uh, in, 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 our, in our country and in our lives today. It costs somebody something for you to enjoy the freedoms that you have. Freedom to speak even when you're wrong. Right? Freedom to speak even when you're wrong. Freedom to do even when you're being selfish. You still, you still have those freedoms. And somebody paid for those freedoms. And many of these people, and here is part of the problem, many of these people that, that, uh, that are selfish and are wrong and are doing things that are against, never gave anything for the freedoms that they have. They, they, it didn't cost them anything. But understand something, just because it didn't cost you something doesn't mean it didn't cost somebody something. Freedom, freedom, Independence Day. That's what we celebrate uh, in uh, our our uh, in our world today, in our in our country today. Is uh, is uh, Independence Day? It's actually Fourth of July. <laughs> like, remember in June when I thought it was the Fourth of July? It's actually the Fourth of July now, and uh, so we are in our church. We'll always represent our flag. We'll always have our flag, because as long as I'm here. We'll always have our flag represented. Why? Because we, are, we ought to be proud to be Americans. But we also have a Christian flag represented as well. Because there is a freedom that many Americans that are free physically do not enjoy, and that is spiritual freedom. The freedom that we have in Christ. Now, they could and they can Many of them choose not to, or many of them have not chosen to as of yet, but the freedoms that we have in Christ are far more important than the freedoms that we have in our country. Why do I say that? Well, because we're only in our country for so long, right? We live here, we, we, we were born here, we live and we die and we're done. We're done in the United States. Do you find it interesting? I do that the United States isn't mentioned in the Bible? It's not represented at all in the Bible. There's a lot of theories behind that, but the bottom bottom line is we're only here for a little while. But when we go to eternity, we're going to be there forever. So the spiritual freedom that I'm going to be talking about this morning far outweighs the freedoms that we enjoy in our country why? Because, number one, the freedoms of our country uh, are limited. We're going to die one day. And then also, uh, the freedom of our country could go away. They could go away. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Because they're trying to take our freedoms away right now. There's a lot of things that are constitutionally written down. That they're trying to change and they're trying to move around and they're trying to alter and they're trying to use the things uh, that happen in, in, in our country to take away those actual rights that we have. So could we lose our freedom in the United States? Absolutely we could. If you think we couldn't, you're, 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 you're mistaken. I can tell you there are, there are countries in our world today that were once free countries. And now they're communist or socialist or 
whatever they are. And I'm telling you, I promise you, it can happen in the United States of America as well. So it's, it can be very temporal, but spiritual freedom, the freedom that we enjoy in the person of Jesus Christ is eternal. It lasts past this life. Is it during this life? Yes, but, but it lasts when we leave this life as well. And it's a freedom that we can enjoy forever and forever. It's far greater, far greater, and we can enjoy it. Freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And really the, the entire chapter uh, is talking about the freedom that we have. But look with me just at a few verses this morning. What shall we say then? Verse number 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as uh, were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. So I want you to, if you mark in your Bible, I want you to mark next to this if you've not already done so. Spirit baptism, not water baptism. Is that important? Yeah, that's important. Because if this is water baptism, then baptism by water is necessary for salvation. You see, when you get baptized in water, you don't go down underneath the water and come up and walk in newness of life. Baptism is a symbol. Baptism is a picture. When does the newness of life come? When you're baptized in the Spirit. Spirit baptism. You see, when you get saved, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get baptized with the Spirit. It has nothing to do with water. It has everything to do with the Spirit. And then when you're baptized with the Spirit, what does God do? He makes you a new person. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new, right? We are new creatures in Christ. So what does He do? He raises us up to walk in newness of life. So this is spirit baptism. This is after we've been saved, after we trusted Christ as our Savior. Baptism, water baptism comes later. This is not water baptism. It is spirit baptism. Look with me down uh, a few verses down to verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. The end, everlasting life. I want, you to, I want you to understand a few things when it comes uh, 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 to freedom. Uh, John 8 and verse 36, it says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. If, if Jesus Christ has made you free, then you are free spiritually. <clears throat> we talked about it Wednesday night when we were talking about Lazarus being raised from the, raised from the dead. And he was raised from the dead and he was wrapped in his grave clothes and Jesus said, Jesus said what? Loose him and set him free. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has loosed us and he has set us free. He has set us free. This is what I want. This is the whole gist of the message this morning. But he set us free not for freedom's sake. He set us free for servanthood's sake. Now we don't like this. This is where we don't like it. Because this is what we like to say. I have freedom. I have freedom in Christ. 
That means I can do whatever I want to do. But here's the problem. The Bible says that we are not to take our liberty, to take our freedom, and use it for the occasion of the flesh. What does that mean? What does the occasion of flesh mean? It means selfishness. It means doing whatever I feel like doing. No, Romans 6 is really, really clear. What has God done? He's raised us from the dead. He's made us to walk in newness of life so that we might serve Him. See, as you were a servant of sin, now you need to be a servant of righteousness. You see, as a lost person, you're not free either. As a lost person, you're a servant. You're a servant to sin. You're a servant to the devil. Your father, the devil, Jesus said. And so you're a servant one way or another. The question is, where are you going to serve? Are you going to serve sin or are you going to serve righteousness? Are you going to serve the devil or are you going to serve God? And as you have served, some of us understand this, as you have served sin, you should with that same energy, if not more, serve righteousness and serve God. So God tells us that we are born again, that we are saved to be servants, to be servants of Jesus Christ. That's why he set us free. We have been made free to serve. Look, look with me, several verses. Verse 16. <clears throat> know ye not? That to him ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin and death or of obedience unto righteousness. Verse 19. <clears throat> I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield ye your members' servants to, to righteousness unto holiness. You serve sin, stop serving sin. God has raised you up, newness of life, made you a new, new man in Christ, a new woman in Christ, and now don't serve sin, serve God. Why are you in the pig pen? God has delivered you from that. And God has given you new life. Now serve Him. And then again in verse 22 it says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God. Servants to God. We must serve as servants of Jesus Christ. And as servants of Jesus Christ, we must live, we must love, and we must learn. We must live, we must love, and we must learn. Now, we don't have time to talk about all three of those things. But I want to talk about the first one. We need to live. We need to live. I, I want you to know that everybody that breathes isn't living. That's cute. It's a little weird, isn't it? Everybody that breathes is not living. Just because... Uh, we walk around and do don't mean we're actually living. Living, I'm talking about living with purpose. Living knowing that your life matters. Living knowing that when you get to the end of your life, you can look back and say, you know what? I don't have any, I don't have any regrets. Now, there might be a misstep here or a misstep there. But you can look back and say, you know what, I fought a good fight. I, I finished my course and I kept the faith. I hope you can say that when you get, whenever the end is. I don't know when that is and neither do you. But whenever we get there, I hope we can look back and say, and, and say that verse or, or, or proclaim that, that. Listen, this 
life needs to be lived on purpose. Do you remember when Jesus was left behind when they were traveling when he was just a youngster? What was he doing? He was in the temple. As a matter of fact, he was confounding the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. He was confounding the, the priests. and the, He was confounding all of them with, the, with truth. And so they realized that he was gone. You remember the story and they had to go back? And they go to kind of chastise him to say, listen, you, you, you need to be with your family. What's wrong with you? Why, why didn't you come? When you, and what did he say? We quote it all the time. I must be about my father's business. What a statement. I must be about my father's business. And can I tell you, church, we need to be about our father's business. We need to be, we, we stand up and want to be counted amongst God's people. We stand up and want to be counted as uh, the church. But what are we doing to prove that we are God's people? What are we doing to prove that we're part of the church? Just because you go to a church doesn't mean you're part of the church. You know, there are so many areas. We have this idea, we've got these few things that we think, well, you know, I can't do children's ministry and I can't do nursery and I can't do Sunday school. And so, you know, we got like four or five things and we say we can't do, I can't sing, you know, I can't, I can't get up there in the choir. I can't do those things, so I'm out. You know, isn't that funny? I mean, it's kind of, kind, of, kind of comical to think that there's only five things to do for the Lord. There's a lot of things that we can be doing for the Lord. What do we need to do? Well, there's several things we need to do. Number one, we need to find out what our spiritual gift is. I promise you, my gift and your gift are probably different. There are some things that you're stronger at than I am. And there are some things that you're weaker at than I am. Because God has made us all different, right? He has, he has gifted us all different. And for some, you know, they have the gift of, they have the gift of mercy. It's a real gift. Some of us, not so much. Some of us have a, really have a hard time with it. Some of us have to really work hard at that. I'm not saying if you don't have the gift that you shouldn't be, we should all be people of mercy. Don't misunderstand. We should all show mercy. But for some, it just comes easier than others. Often my wife will have to say, babe, you're being a little harsh. When I'm dealing with somebody or dealing with a situation or dealing with a circumstance. Because let me tell you what I want to do. Bam! Smash it. It's gone. Done. What did you say? Let's talk about it. Let's get it over with. Do you know what I often have to do? Step back a couple steps. Pray, think, say, okay, God, you're going to have to help me with this. Please help me not to smash into this guy with my car. We have to pray through some of these. Some of y'all are like, you're, you just portray mercy. It's a gift. Listen to me. I'm not making fun. I'm telling you, that's a gift. And God has put us together on purpose. And when he puts us together on purpose, what is he doing? He's making us into the church that Effingham County needs. That's what he's doing. I'm glad, and you better be too, that this church isn't full of Joe Springers. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm glad it's not full of you either, whoever the individual is. Why? Because, you know, what do we say about, what do we say about relationships? 
opposites track, right? Usually two people that are exactly the same don't mesh real good together. Why? Because in a marriage, let me tell you what happens. Christ is at the center, right? And then, and then God made man, and, and then he made woman, and he made him different. In every conceivable way, he made them different. I've got a book. I gave it. I, I, I let. I let to. It's a. It's a book on a man, and it's a book on a woman. It's what every man knows about a woman, and what every woman knows about a man. And it's. It's about that thick, and it's. And it's all blank pages. Now let them see. It's. it's the, once you think that you figured it out, curveball. I'm here to tell you. I'll tell you. My wife will tell you. I mean. Most of you that have been in a relationship for a long time, you'll tell you, we are different. And that's not a bad thing. You see, God created man, and, and the, 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 the animals weren't sufficient. Do you understand that? And so what did God say? Man needs a helper. He needs a help me. He needs somebody to complete him. So he didn't create another man. Hello? He didn't create a man that was going to be a woman or a woman that was going to be a man. He created Eve, a woman, to do what? Not to be the same as him, but to complete him. And with God in the center, what is marriage? Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. That's what marriage is supposed to be. And those relationships are healthy because we are different and we complete one another. What is the church? We're all different. We all have different personalities. Why do, you, why do you handle it the way you handle it? Why do you do the, what you do? Why is it that two people can sit down and watch a movie and one blubbers their way through the entire movie and the other person's unmoved? Because we're different. We're, we're different. Why is it? You've seen it? Haven't you seen it? Haven't you seen it at funerals? How different people react differently and emotionally when it comes to, to death, when it comes to whatever it is in life, because we're all made up different. So what did God do? Isn't this the great thing about the church? God, God brought us all together. And he didn't bring us all together so that our differences might split us. He brought us all together so that we might be united and that our differences might strengthen us. And so, what does God want from this church? He wants us to be a lighthouse in our community, right? He wants us to be a, 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 a hospital for the sick. He, I mean, he wants us to be a witness in our community, ultimately around the world too. But in our community, God put this church here for a purpose. And God put you here for a purpose, for a reason. And so, what do we need to do? We need to figure out that reason and live for the Lord. We need to live for him. Look with me in verse number eight of our text. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Live with him. Romans 13 11 says that it's time to wake up out of our sleep. Both Colossians and Ephesians say that time must be redeemed. James tells us time is what? Short. Proverbs tells us that time must be used wisely. 
We must live now. It's why God set us free. It's why God set us free. So that we're no longer living for ourselves or living for the world or living for the devil, but that we're living for God. God has set us free. And He set us free to live in three ways. Let me give them to you. Number one, we're to live holy, we're to live humbly, and we're to live happily. Holy, humbly, and happily. Now, you know we ain't going to get all these, but I'm going to give you a couple of them, all right? We need to live. Number one, we need to live holy. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. By the way, that's in the most strongest words possible. God forbid. Let me tell you. Let me put it in your vernacular, in my vernacular. What in the world are you thinking? Why would you think that God set you free so that you can go out and sin? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, no, never. That's not how we should be living our lives. We should be living our lives righteous and holy before God. Why should we be living our lives righteously and holy? Uh, Three reasons. Number one, it's mandated. It's mandated. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. God commands his people to be holy. And if you're not holy, as a born-again believer, you're not holy. Stop blaming everybody else. Stop blaming God. That's your choice. It's your decision. That young man left his father, and he ended up in the pig pen, and it was nobody's fault. It wasn't his brother's fault. It wasn't the servant's fault. It wasn't the father's fault. He got up, he made a decision, and then he had to pay for the consequences of that decision. We, listen, God calls us to be holy. If we aren't holy, we choose to be unholy. That's what we choose to do. Stop making excuses and do what God's called you to do. It's mandated. God requires it. Number two, it's not only mandated, but it's manifested. Look with me in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Drawn out of God, he'll draw out of you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. God has called us to holiness, and we are to manifest that holiness. How do other people know we're Christians? There's, there, there's really only two ways. Okay? First of all, in the book of John, God says that the only way that people are going to know that we're his disciples is by our love one for another. But then the second way is our fruit. What, what, do, what do we look like? Listen to me. If you're... If your Facebook page looks like the world and you talk like the world and you walk like the world and you act like the world, there's nobody in their right mind going to say, man, I bet he's a good Christian. Nobody. And by the way, I'm talking about more than just throwing a quote up there from C.S. Lewis from time to time. People look at us and they can't see our hearts. And we say this, I don't know if you've ever said this before, but I, I have to, well, she, 
She just has a pure heart. You really don't know that. You know why you're saying that? Because of her actions. Right? Because how she's acting. Because that's all you can see. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God judges by the heart. God doesn't just judge by the outward appearance. God judges by the heart. You can be a really good faker. The Bible has a word for that. It's called a hypocrite. We can be a really good faker, right? And got everybody fooled, but you can't fool God. Because God doesn't always look on the outward. God looks on the inward and he sees our hearts. So when people go by, they look at you and they can tell who you are by what you do. What kind of bumper stickers you have on your car. Right? About the flags you fly. By your actions when the national anthem is played. I'm just telling you, you, people, that's the only way people can judge. And we say this, judge not that you be not judged. Let me tell you something, I'm going to preach a series on that because we are very confused. We are very confused by that verse. Now, we ought to be careful. We ought to be careful. We better get the beam out of our own eye before we're about the sliver that's in our brother's eye. But I'm here to tell you, we judge every single day. Every single day. There are times that I'll be driving and I'll look at somebody on the side of the road that's holding up a sign and I'll judge whether I need to go buy him food. I never give money. Whether I need to go buy him food or whether he's just trying to get some extra money for beer. Now, is my judgment always right? No, that's why I probably should be careful of my judgment, right? But I want you to know, we judge all the time. And sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's external. But we do it, and we need to understand that one day we will all be judged. And we'll be judged for whether what we've done in our bodies, whether it be good or bad. It's manifested, and it ought to be manifested in every Christian. Live holy because it's mandated. Live holy because it's manifested. Live holy because it's monitored. It's monitored. Let me tell you something, folks. God is watching. Do you realize that? God is watching. When I was in my unspent years, misspent years, we, um, four of us, five of us, decided we did no longer wanted to be under our parents' rule. Didn't want to be in school anymore. We were about 16. Didn't want to work anymore. So the five of us got together and came up with a brilliant plan. I lived in upstate New York at the time. So we illegally borrowed a car. You can figure that out. Anyways, and <laughs> took a bunch of money and decided we are going to go live in Daytona Beach, Florida. Of course, we knew nothing about Daytona Beach, Florida, and certainly knew nothing about the heat in Daytona Beach, Florida. But anyway, so, so we left. We, 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 we got in the car, and we, I mean, we just, we took off. And we soon realized that money doesn't go a long way. And your preacher lived under a bridge for 10 days in Daytona Beach, Florida. There was a store. It's a convenience store. There's a bunch of them, obviously. But there was only one that didn't have cameras. 
Because these other ones, they had cameras, and you went in there, and they were, they were, they were watching you. I mean, they could see you on these monitors, and they were watching you. There was only one that didn't have cameras. We went in there and stole food on a continuous. We would have starved to death if we didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that the clerk in there knew what we were doing and thought these poor hoodlums, you know, and never called the cops on us. And, but I always thought to myself, have you ever think this to yourself? Be careful what you do because people are watching. Stores have, you know, video cameras that they're, that they're watching when you, when you go anywhere. And everywhere you go, people are watching. Let me tell you something. Even in the places they're not watching, God is watching. And God is far more important than what any man sees. You see, we can get alone in our closet and do things that nobody else knows about, but God knows about it. God knows about it, and God sees it. And guess what? You're not going to stand before me one day. You're going to stand before God one day. You're not going to stand before your spouse one day. You're going to stand before God one day. And so though God sees, uh, uh, sees all things, that ought, to, that ought to put fear and trembling in our lives uh, that we live uh, uh, holy and righteous before God. Second Chronicles 16 and 9, if you're taking, taking notes, God is monitoring, monitoring us. So we need to live holy. Number two, we need to live humbly. We need to live humbly. Proverbs, what a great book. Proverbs chapter number 16. Listen to what the scripture says. Proverbs 16 and verse number 19. Proverbs 16 and verse 19. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Wow, isn't that a mouthful? What wisdom? Of course, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, but better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. We need to live humble. Why it's required, Micah 6, 8. It's repeated, 1 Peter 5, 5. And it's rewarded, James 4, 6. God resisteth the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under, under the mighty hand of God, and, and in due season, He will lift you up. Let God be the rewarder. Stop being haughty. People are, people are so proud. So proud. We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to admit we're wrong. We don't, we don't like to, we think that our opinion is the only opinion. We think that what we think is the only right way, and if somebody else says something, we get mad and upset about it. You know why? Because we're prideful. What do we need to do? We need to humble ourselves. Do you know what the Bible says? That we need to clothe ourselves in humility. Clothe ourselves in humility every day. It needs to be repeated every single day. God, help me to be humble today. Be careful asking God to humble you because he has a way of doing it. But ask God, beg God to help you to be humble today. Prefer others better than yourself. See, a prideful person is not going to do that. A prideful person is going to step all over who, whoever he can to get as far as he can. A, a prideful person doesn't think of anybody else's feelings. A prideful person doesn't consider anybody else's opinions. A prideful person puts dumb things out on Facebook 
not, not considering anybody, what anybody else thinks, how anybody else feels, or what anybody else's opinion is. Now, there are some things that are facts, folks, and I, I, I'm here to say if it's a fact, we need to get up and say it. I, I'm not ashamed. I'm, listen, I'm not going to be ashamed of standing up and saying that right is right and wrong is wrong. That's the bottom line. We have the Bible to stand on. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting up and being ugly. I'm talking about getting up and hurt, hurting people and, and not caring that you're doing so. Prideful people do that. What do we need to do? We need to humble ourselves. Why? Because we need to live humbly. So, so I'm, I'm flying through them, so I give them to all, to all to you. So we're living. We're li- we need to live holy. We need to live humbly. And then we need to live happily. We need to live hap- happily. Boy, you're talking, about a, you're talking about a confused concept? We're really confused when it comes to living happily. See, we base our happy, happiness on the things that happen in our world. Things go good, smile on our face, and we're happy. Things don't go the way we should, we're mad, angry, bitter. And things unfortunate happen, we're sad and miserable. And Guess what we do, though? This is what we do. Whatever our feeling is, we want everybody else to feel that way, too. If I'm miserable, you might as well be miserable, too, so I'm just going to be a jerk. If I'm sad, you're going to be sad too. Then you just, you, that's just the way it is. If, if I'm bitter, then let me tell you something. I'm going to, but guess what? Birds of a feather flock together. And once you're bitter and once you start being bitter and showing bitterness, all the bitter people come out of the, come out of the woodwork. They start, they start gathering, gathering a group together. Let me, let, me, let me tell you something. Unhappiness. Here's the gist of everything I'm going to say about happiness. Unhappiness is a matter of the heart. Be clear on that. If you're unhappy, there's a heart problem. Now, I'm not talking about you're sad over a circumstance or somebody passed away. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about having a, a, you know, a, a longing for someone that you've been with for 40 or 50 years and they've gone on to. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your overall happiness. If you are overall unhappy, stop blaming it on the preacher. Stop blaming it on the church. Stop blaming it on your spouse. Well, I'm here to tell you if I had a better wife, I'd be happy. I'm going to tell you something. If you're making that statement, you're the problem. You are the problem, and vice versa, by the way. If I had a better job, if I had a better boss, if my health was better, you see, we base everything we're happy on on the circumstances of life, but that's not biblical. Our happiness, your happiness, ought to be found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And though the relationships of this earth, our health, our work, our church, all these things might change, Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. So guess what? If my happiness is in Christ, if everything else crumbles, I can still be happy. 
Why? Because Jesus is still Jesus. You see, that's the thing we're promised is that Jesus is never going to change. He's never going to fail us. He's never going to forsake us. Unhappiness. Listen, our happiness is found in Christ. It's not found in people, places, or things. Because people, places, and things change and go away. Right? Happens all the time. If your happiness is found in your children when they grow up, get out of the house, you're now unhappy. If your happiness is based on your spouse and your spouse passes away, guess what? You're now unhappy. If your happiness is based on your 401k and everything crashes and you lose everything, you're now very unhappy. If your happiness is found in the church and the church changes, I'll tell you what happens often, often. We find our happiness in a church and a pastor, and the pastor leaves. And things begin to change, and now we're unhappy. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, I just, I just, I just, I'll just go somewhere else. The problem isn't the place. You understand that? I hope we understand that. The problem isn't the place. The problem isn't another person. The problem is us. I can be happy whether I'm here or I'm all the way around the world. Why? Because my happiness isn't found in in places and in people and things, my happiness is found in Christ. Listen, listen to what C.S. Lewis said about living. He was an apologetic writer. Matter of fact, he was an atheist before he got saved. J.R. Tolkien um, influenced him to, to, to be saved, and he ended up getting saved. And when he got saved, he was just a, an apologetic, always a defense. Uh, uh, a defense of the gospel and a defense of Christianity. Now, listen, know that life, the life that you live for God is of the utmost importance. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Listen closely to this. If Christianity is false, then it's of no importance. And if it's true, it's of an infinite importance. Now, this is what caught me. So this is, that's an easy one, right? If it's true, it's infinitely important. If it's not true, what are we doing? What's the point? But here's what gets me because I think this is, this is where Christianity lies today. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Think about that. So, if it's true, it's infinitely important. If it's false, it's of no importance. But it cannot be moderately important. And that's where we've come in Christianity today. We'll live for God if it's not too inconvenient. We'll live for God if we have time. We'll live for God if it doesn't cost us too much. We'll go to church if we have time to go to church. We'll give if there's any money left over at the end. We'll, we'll give. My preacher taught me this years ago, and I loved it. Stuck with me all these years. J.C. Penney will never help you pay God, but God will help you pay J.C. Penney. Now, who comes first? I want you to understand something. 
the way we live our lives is important. And it does matter. It matters now and it's going to matter in eternity. So we need to live like it does matter. Not so-so, uh, but living like it's infinitely important because it is. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this morning that God loves you? That He died for you. He, he paid the ultimate price so that you could have freedom. See, understand something this morning that freedom that we have in our country costs somebody something, but the freedom we have in Christ costs God everything. Jesus Christ gave His life on Calvary. He died on that cross, was buried, and He rose again the third day. And the Bible says He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? Can I encourage you this morning? If you've not done so, there's nothing more important. Nothing more important than your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'd die right now. I'd go to heaven to be with God, and I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up this morning right back down. I pray for you. I'm not going to come to where you are. I don't want to embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray for you by need. I'm not sure about my salvation, preacher. Please remember me in your prayers as they're one. What a blessing. What a, what a privilege it is to be a born-again child of God. I'm telling you, church, we have a responsibility to act like we're the born-again children of God. We're different. God's called us a peculiar people. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're, we're representing a different world. We're representing Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors for Him. We need to live holy. We need to live humbly. We need to live happily. Put a smile on your face. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And He'll go with you every step the way. Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed, instruments playing this morning in hymn invitation. And I invite you to come this morning. God, help me. God, help me to live for you. God, help me to love you. God, help me to worship you. It will, listen, it will make a difference in your life. And because it makes a difference in your life, it'll make a difference in the lives of people around you. If you need to come for whatever reason, as the instruments play this morning, you come.